Does everybody have a handout that needs one? If you don't, raise your hand. We're all good? Okay. I really enjoyed going through this material again and going through it with you. Blessed by the number of people that have wanted to come out and study. And uh, so I thank you for that. We will end it tonight on, uh, on perseverance. And I want to read from John chapter 6, 37 to 40. And then I'll pray. Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven to, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray quickly again. Lord, we know that we need Your Spirit to illumine Your Word, to teach us, to grow us. So empower me to, to speak and lead and empower us to hear, learn, go away rejoicing in Your grace in Christ. Thank You for a full-orbed salvation that is of You and for us. In Christ. So we pray for your blessing. We thank you for the privilege. We trust you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so as I said, we'll finish up tonight on the last letter of the flower. Even though we've talked about maybe we would change a letter or two, and RC talks about how he would change them all, except for the P, but he changes it anyway. Remember where we've come from. Why was what we call the Doctrines of Grace and why was the acronym the TULIP, why, why was that developed? You remember? What spurred it? Okay, yeah. There was a protest or a remonstrance by the students of Arminius. He, he's dead and gone by the time this happens. But he had taught them all this stuff. So there was a protest against the official church doctrine and against Reformed theology. And uh, we saw the points in comparison when we started. But the reason there are five points in this, what we call the doctrines of grace, is there were five points of protest or remonstrance on the other side. And the church examined them at length. Um, and then we have flowing out of that, out of Dort, we have... Uh, this, it wasn't arranged really, you know, just exactly like this at first, but we have what we call the tulip. What is the T? It means we're as bad as we could possibly be, right? No? What does it mean? Say again? Good, good. Good. Every part of our nature was corrupted by the fall. So what is the outcome of that? Who will seek God? Us. 
on their own? None. None. Then we have unconditional election. God, that's the you, unconditional election. God's choice of us, therefore, if total depravity is true, could not have been based on anything we are or would do. Right? It had to be based in Himself and His grace. So, unconditional because it wasn't based on any condition in us. God didn't look at us and see anything appealing that would cause Him to draw us. In fact, contra that. Everything in us would cause Him to reject us and judge us and condemn us. So we talked about election. The bugaboo, you know, that everybody struggles with. The L. What is, what is the L? Okay. So does that mean we're limiting the value of Christ's atonement? It's about the intention of the atonement. Who did He die for? What did He accomplish, right? For everyone who was given to Him, He died to purchase a real and true and full salvation. So particular redemption, though it messes up the flower, would be my preference, right? Or definite atonement. If you can use the one, those and come up with a flower, great. And then the I was... Right. Irresistible grace. In other words, this is God applying the redemption purchased by Christ. The Spirit does what in us that makes us turn and... What happens before we repent and trust in Christ? Yes. Not that, like there's a lot of time between that. But we're given life. We're regenerated. We're brought to life through the Spirit. And the effectual call that, is, that goes forth in the context of the general call as the gospel is preached, God's giving life, turning on the lights for the ones given to Christ. How many given to Christ will come to Him? How many will make it all the way to heaven? Actually, new heavens, new earth, I should say. Christ said it right there. We saw it, right? That I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And we talked about there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of things we won't understand comprehensively. There's a lot of times when we have to take things by faith because the Word of God teaches it. And so that's been our question. Not how do I feel or do I like it or is this what I've always been taught, but is this what the Word of God teaches? And if it's what the Word of God teaches, I need to embrace it. I need to go as far as the Word goes and no further. Good counsel from Calvin, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God. There's going to be some secret things to us that we can't figure out. His decree, we can't comprehensively understand, right? But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children, that we might love Him, basically, do all the things written in His law. So He has given us enough that we might know enough, know what we can know as creatures, that we might love Him and trust Him and be secure in Him and walk with Him and actually be on mission for Him and fruitful there. So today, perseverance of the saints. You remember the protest point that we highlighted that not all came to embrace and we talked about that but it says the the fifth point of protest or contention from the armenian side it ultimately rests with the believers to keep themselves in a state of grace by keeping their faith those who fail here fall away and are lost well pilgrim can just take that that sack and put it right back on his back can he 
Because if that weight is on me, I'm not going to make it. The reformer's response was what we call the perseverance of the saints. And this is another place where R.C., he doesn't change the letter, but he changes the word. Preservation. And I, and I think that's a... We can keep perseverance as long as we know that we persevere because we are being preserved. That God is working through the means He's given to bring us to faith, to nurture us in that faith, and to take us all the way home. The warnings against unbelief and all of that that are in the Word will be fruitful in the lives of His followers who hear His voice and follow Him. So the Reformer's response was perseverance of the saints and the saints will persevere in faith because God will preserve them in grace and save them. So preservation of the saints if you prefer, perseverance of the saints. Basically we are just owning what Jesus said and what I read that, I, that this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that He's given me but raise it up on the last day. All that we're given will come. I think you have these quotes on your sheet, but um, Burkhoff, helping us define it. Perseverance may be defined as that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Notice continuous there. By which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. It is because God never forsakes His work that believers continue to stand to the very end. Remember, what is our, our, our justification is an act of God's grace where He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Sanctification is the work of His grace. We've been renewed and enabled to more and more die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's the path the Christian walks to the end in glory. R.C. Sproul says this, and this is what I was hinting at earlier. I think this little catchphrase, perseverance of the saints, is, a da- is dangerously misleading. It suggests that perseverance is something that we do, perhaps, in and of ourselves. I believe that the saints do persevere in faith and that those who have been effectually called by God and have been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit endure to the end. However, they persevere not because they are so diligent in making use of the mercies of God. The only reason we can give why any of us continue in the faith is because we have been preserved. So I prefer the preservation of the saints because the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. My confidence in my preservation, is not in my ability to persevere. My confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with His grace and by the power of His intercession. He is going to bring us safely home. See, the security that is there for us in resting our hope of our salvation in God and His work in us that salvation is of the Lord, that I was lost and I would have stayed that way. That would have been my preference had He not given me life, a new heart, granted me repentance and faith. 
And those he brings to faith, he sustains in faith. In other words, we'll see it in a verse in a minute. The, when he begins a good work in you, he's not a quitter. He completes it to the end. So everybody who ever makes a profession in faith in Christ will make it all the way home to glory. Right? Y'all better watch me. I'm trying to trick you. Is there a such thing as a false profession? Obviously there is. Might we go as far as to baptize somebody who doesn't believe? Yeah, Simon the Magician would be one of those, right? It's not, it's not necessarily everyone who with their lips professes salvation, but everyone who experiences work of grace in their heart. And that profession is backed up by fruit of the Spirit by a, an experience of following after Christ. Now, if you're, if you're nailed to a cross and you come to faith, we can still see some fruit of repentance in your life by what you say. And that thief from that cross was in paradise with Jesus that day. But praise God, most of us are not in that situation. And the Spirit does a work in us of justification, brings us to faith, right? We trust and we're justified. He also does a work of sanctification where we grow in grace. So no Christian will ever backslide or struggle with sin or fall for a time into it. No? Any examples? How many, how many do you want? Very, very good. Right? I'm just talking about in Scripture, right? I'm not talking about in the room. <laughs> That's good. That humility's coming out though and I'm loving it. I mean, you know, yeah, David, Peter. I mean, the only thing that separates, and R.C. talks about this, the only thing that separates Peter from Judas is God's work of grace in him. They both denied Christ. Peter did it with cursing and oaths and all sorts of things. But what happened after he did that? wasn't worldly sorrow by which he went out and hanged himself, but it was godly sorrow that led to repentance and he was restored. And Jesus said, I have prayed for you. You're going to do this thing. This thing that you're not going to do. This thing that you think you're too strong to do. You're going to do it. But you will come back to faith. I have prayed for you. And when you do, strengthen the brothers. The only difference between those two men they both deserve condemnation. Just like you and I and everybody else was saying, how many you want was God's work of grace. Did either one of them deserve God's work of grace? No, they did not. Just like us, we don't. So while the true believer can fall into sin, can, can kind of go deep down that well, right? The Spirit won't leave them there. We'll bring them out. And I talked about David earlier and, and stuff, so I won't go back through that. Or Peter. Or, like you say, tons of others. Sam.
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Amen. Big picture covenant boiling down into all of these places, right? <clears throat> so look at our definition. And I'll recommend another place. I don't know if I left this on your handout or not, but anyway. Every true believer will certainly persevere in faith until the end and so be finally saved. This does not mean that true Christians will never have seasons of doubt. Well, I'm thankful about that. Listen, I try to be transparent with y'all, but nobody in this room has a faith that is perfect. How do I know? You're not glorified yet. Everybody in this room, at some point of the other, is going to experience doubt and get a little better taste of their own weakness. Why? That we might not trust in ourselves, but in Him who was raised for us and in Him who saves us. So, yes, we, we're on the way. We have, true Christians will never... It doesn't mean that they will never have seasons of doubt nor fall into sin, but rather God will not let their faith fail. Praise God. He will never allow them to remain in gross sin indefinitely, will but continue the work that He began in them, bringing it to perfection in the day of Christ Jesus. God's preservation of the believer is evidenced by the believer's perseverance in faith. And if you want to dig a little deeper and have some references, uh, Westminster Confession, chapter 17, 1689, Baptist Confession, chapter 17, you can dig through there. And, and look at the references and just really mire up in, in perseverance. But God always finishes the work of grace if He starts it. Was Judas ever born again? No, he was never justified. He was a professor and a professed follower, but the peek behind the curtain we get even through a few verses is that he's stealing money out of the treasury as he's walking with Christ. Money was his God. That's what they gave him to get him to deny Jesus. Shook a little silver in front of him. But if God begins that work, he will finish it. Comments or questions? All right, what's our question? Question? Yeah. What's our question? For a minute I thought I said that wrong, but I really didn't do it. It's been a good day, but brain is on the edge. Very good. What does the Scripture teach? If this, what we're presenting as uh, perseverance, is what the Scripture teaches, then we want to believe it. I mean, we've already seen it in, in what I read up front. But let's, let's look at a, a few Scripture proofs that we've provided or I've provided you here, uh, starting in Jeremiah speaking of God's work in His people when He saves them. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear Me forever. The new covenant reality is being predicted. For their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Watch this. That I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the... No, look. I will put the fear of me in their hearts. For what reason, God? That they may not turn from me. I mean, that's the history of the Jews in the Old Testament, apart from a small remnant of turning from the Lord. But he says, in the ones that I'm at work in, Israel, 
Jews, and even Gentiles who are grafted in, that I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to put the fear of me in their heart so that they will not turn from me. God's work of grace is a complete work of grace. It's like Christ's atonement isn't a complete atonement. For those He lived for and died for and was raised for and is reigning for and is coming again, it is a full salvation that is applied to us through means, means of the gospel. Look at, look at Romans 8.30. Y'all are quiet tonight. This may not take long. Those whom He predestined. Have I at least started to wean you away from the fear of that word? Predestined? Don't ever say, I don't believe in predestination. Don't ever say that because that's what the Bible teaches. Just be sure you, your doctrine of predestination is in line with what the Bible teaches. Because you're not fighting with the teacher if you say, I don't believe in predestination or I don't like that doctrine. You're actually fighting with the Word. But Romans said, those whom He predestined, those who were stretching all the way back into eternity past, before there was ever creation, in the, in the covenant between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, those who were chosen by the Father, given to the Son, He would come and be the mediator. The Spirit would come apply that redemption. Those who were predestined, He called. And that call there is the effectual call. It's not just the general call like this morning when I'm calling you, even commanding you to come in f- to faith in Jesus. When, he, when this word, this, in this context, when it says called, it's talking about that effectual call, that work of the Spirit that within that context of that gospel being preached, life, new heart, repentance and faith. Look at this. The predestined, Although, you could say it this way, all those whom he predestined, he called. And I know it's the effectual call by the next statement. And those whom he called, he justified. God doesn't justify just all the hearers of the gospel. But those who by his grace turn and trust in Jesus. So it's effectual call that's in view here. Those whom he called, he justified. And most of those he justified, he glorified. Mac. That would be the new retarded version. It added a word that's not in there. No, those whom he justified, he glorified. If he's ever justified you, he's going to glorify you. Hmm? Yeah? Amen. 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 Do you need that security? Oh, you're not in touch with your weakness if you don't think you do. God says if He justified you, He's going to glorify you. What is that but perseverance of the saints? Preservation, yes. Which is fruit, the fruit of that is our perseverance. Not that we don't have days when we're so weak we don't think we're going to make it. Well, not that we don't have days when we don't feel like we have any faith. Come on, y'all ever have those days? But He sees us through and He grows us in the process. Why? So that we won't trust in ourselves but trust in Him. We won't rest in what we do but what He has done in His doing. Man, that's how John Newton could say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He didn't say a wretch like I was, although that was true. Paul didn't say I was the chief of sinners. 
not that he's in all, in all the gross, overt, outward, physical sin, but he, the, the longer we're walking with Christ, the more we know two things. Just how weak and needy we are, just how strong and glorious he is and sufficient he is. So that the longer we walk with him, as those lines get further apart, that cross just gets bigger and bigger in our eyes. Christ came to save sinners. I am chief. If he justified you, he's going to glorify you. I already read this, but I'll read it again. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. One thing you can put to bed, there'll never be a person who really wants to be saved that Christ rejects. Oh yeah, I see you want to be saved, but you're not chosen, so you've got to go away. That's not, no, that's not how this works at all. And y'all know from what we've studied that nobody's really going to seek Christ if God's not at work in them. Now, they don't have to understand all that. All they know is, ugh, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I turn to Jesus. But the mere fact that we realize our sin and need is a work of God's mercy in us. Thoughts? Anything? Right, exactly. One of, one of the things, listen, there's, there's some pluses and there's a lot of minuses from having a testimony like mine where you're converted when you're 26 years old. There's a lot of sinful water baggage under the bridge that you walk through that you wouldn't want anybody else to walk through. But I tell you one thing I can remember is my heart and my mindset before Christ got a hold to me. I wasn't looking for him. And I would never have been looking for him. If in his time he hadn't done something in my heart to change my course. Nothing to do with me. Contra what I deserve. Nothing to do with you. But the blessed thought of being Christ's sheep. Sheep are stubborn. They'll bite. They run away. Why do you think you have to shepherd them? You got to keep them in the group. But he loves us and he came and lived for us and he died for us and he's raised for us and he's reigning for us and he's coming again and the process will be finished when he comes again. Look what he says in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Corey mentioned that this morning. I give them eternal life until they mess up. No, I give them eternal life. If Christ has given you life, it's eternal. If you have life, spiritual life, it's eternal. I give them eternal life. And watch this, just for emphasis. And they will never perish. None of his sheep will perish. Not one. Remember how we opened. That he loses nothing but raises it up at the last day. They will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. Including you snatching yourself out of his hand. That's some of the silliest stuff I've ever heard. Nobody can snatch me out, but I can choose to jump out. Well, number one, you're not going to do that if you're his sheep. But number two, open the hands of the Almighty if you can. Who do you think you are? You didn't get here on your own. 
You're not going to want to get out. You're going to have a lot of struggles in your life. You have times when it doesn't make sense. But we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. We never want to abandon Him. If you see a person trusting in Christ, you know they didn't get there by themselves. As Cindy has mentioned, you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. Same kind of thing. My sheep, hear my voice. The word going forth and the spirit empowering that word. They, and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. If you're going to go against the doctrine of perseverance, preservation, you're arguing with Christ, not me. Because he said his sheep will never perish. That they will hear him, that they will follow him, that they will have eternal life and they'll never get away. And besides that, what other shepherd would you want than the one that would take hell for you? Literally. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. I know Brian's a big fan of J.C. Ryle. And if you go read J.C. Ryle and, and when he talks about uh, eternal things and preparing for eternal life, it's worth doing. It's worth doing. He'll help you understand more how much Christ has done for you. We're all familiar with this verse. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this. Think who's writing that. Think about Saul of Tarsus. Arch enemy of the church. Seeking to destroy her. Arrested by the one he hated on the Damascus road. Ends up not just a follower, not just a sheep, but an apostle. And joyfully so. And he's the one saying, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. If he's begun it, how do I know he's begun it? Because you see your sin and your need of a Savior. You've turned with grief and hatred. You hate sin. You hate sin. And you've turned to Christ to be forgiven and cleansed. And clothed in His righteousness. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. That's how you know. Just like that turtle, you didn't get there by yourself. If you have any, not if you have a perfect faith in Christ, if you have any real faith, any faith in Christ, the right object, a saving faith. But I'm going to tell you, one of, the, one of the things that studying and miring up in the doctrines of grace will do for you is you'll stop asking yourself whether or not you have enough faith. That's really, I mean, okay, God's waiting for you to get, you've got to get over that 50% mark. If you can't get over that 50% mark, I, I, can't, I can't take you. And I can't keep you. Because really, it's really, in the final assessment, it's up to you. You have to keep that faith over on this side of the, of the meter. 
That's wicked. That's wicked. That's, that's no confidence in a life like that. That's not the truth is why. If God began a good work in you, He'll bring it to completion. And if you can read things like 1 John, if you can read the Bible, if you can read the Gospel of John, if you can read Romans and you see not perfection, if you can read the fruit of the Spirit and you see those things present and growing, then you can have confidence that God is working in you, that your faith is genuine. Not how much do I have, but is it real or not? Is there evidence of the Spirit being at work in me? Because if He's begun that work, He'll finish that work. And in the process, He'll show you how weak and needy you are and you'll grow in that and how great and glorious and sufficient He is. So don't be surprised if you're learning about your weakness. That's part of the walk. Not all of it, but it's part of it. Paul was right before his death when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And he had mercy on me that the rest of y'all might have hope. That's the southern translation. Anything? Believe it? Any disagreement? Sam, you want to rebuke me? Okay, let's, let's, let's finish this and then we'll do that and then we'll end where I want to end, okay? Lay the foundation before we... Let the clear interpret the unclear. One of our principles. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. The reason I want to wait is we'll have everybody turn there when we, when we look at it. So. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. Yes, praise God. Do that, please. Take me all the way to glorification. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It doesn't say he might do it. It's a possibility that he will do it. He will surely do it. Sanctify you completely. Thessalonians, Swansboroughians, whoever is trusting in Jesus, it's His work and He'll finish that work. He who calls you, He's called you unto Himself. He's faithful. He'll finish the job. What do you mean the job? He will sanctify you completely. In other words, He will glorify you. He's faithful. He will do it. Notice it doesn't say you do your best and he'll do the rest. Although we're called to make every effort. He works in us what is pleasing to him that we might work it out. 2 Timothy 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Praise the Lord. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Safely. 
into his heavenly kingdom. It says he'll do it for those who are his sheep that he will lose none. Jude 1, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And what does it mean to stumble? That you slip into a sin? Does God keep us from ever slipping into any sin? Right? We, we fall away, basically. And to present you, he will keep, present you blameless before his presence with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. He works us through struggling with life in this fallen world, makes it all work for us to grow us more and more like Jesus and takes us all the way home to glory. Here's the first part of Westminster Confession. I just wanted it on your sheet. They whom God has accepted in the Beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally or finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere to the end and be eternally saved. So you can see, and you can go read that in the Baptist Confession, it says the same thing. If God has called us, we can neither totally nor finally fall away from that state of grace, but we will persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. I have one more that you don't have on your sheet, but I'm sorry, Sam, we've run out of time. Uh, (laughs) I'm teasing. All right, Sam wants to look at Hebrews 10. Let's look at Hebrews 10. Why don't you read it, Sam, out loud? <clears throat> if you keep reading it, he's confident of better things in the, the Hebrews that he's writing to. So, if we look at the passage, and here's one thing to not do, ever do. Like sometimes when we look at a passage like this, we forget everything else that we've read and heard and, and all the stuff we've just gone over, Right? And we forget that and we read this like we don't know any of that and we read into this and we think... Well, here's obviously somebody who fell away from the faith, who had faith and chucked it. Right? Because he's saying, if, but here's, there's a lot of clues in here. Right? If right before that, stir up one another to love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together, but encourage one another. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, Hmm? Well, sure. Right. You're right. What the people he's talking about in this text are the people he's going to say to, depart from me, I never knew you. Because although the gospel came into their life and maybe they came into the covenant community, maybe they made a profession of faith, they're within the, 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 the atmosphere of the operations of the Spirit in God's church. But they never had a true faith. How do I know that? Now bring in what I was teaching this morning. They went on habitually sinning after they received the knowledge of the truth. It didn't change their life. 
the old language. They were, they were, I can't remember the old language. <laughs> standing on the promises, but uh, sitting on the premises, but not standing on the promises. That's it. They were in the context of the church. And look, wheat and the tear. They look real. But in the final evaluation, they were not the good soil. Remember the soils? But one of the other soils. Oh, can you, in the Old Testament, was there ever anybody among the Jews and God's covenant people who didn't know and love God and went on sinning? Oh, of course. Does that happen in the New Testament period? Oh, listen. I mean, D. James Kennedy even said, he said, I've got people I do not want to be handcuffed to when they die. They're in my church. Why do you think sometimes I preach so hard on Sunday morning? Is because I know those people are in here. I don't know who they are. But I know that there are some people under the sound of my voice who may even think they have faith, who may be presuming upon grace, who might be shocked to hear Jesus say, depart from me. But the truth hasn't changed them. Go on. Notice he doesn't say just go on sinning. Go on sinning deliberately. So yeah, is apostasy a real thing? Yes, it is. Are there people who make professions of faith and preach for a while and do all kinds of things in God's church and then end up saying, well, I've decided I'm not a Christian? Does that mean they were ever justified? It can't mean that because of Romans 8. It can mean they looked like they were. Maybe they even thought they were. Well, I don't understand that because I was saved under their ministry. By God's grace, they preached the gospel to you. They didn't believe it. They didn't know it. So insidiously dangerous. So tricky is sin. So deceptive is the world, the flesh, and the devil that you can be fooled about where you stand. If you're really Christ's sheep, you'll hear His voice and you have eternal life. You'll never perish. But there's a lot of people in Christ's church. When I say that, I mean visible church. There's a lot of people coming to church on Sunday in churches around the world whom this would describe. So yes, do people fall away? Uh Uh-huh. They fall away from a profession of faith. But do they fall away from true faith? No, because if they had true faith, they would be justified. And we know from the Word, if they're justified, they'll be glorified. So if they fall away between those two, it reveals to us that they never really had it to start with. John says they, let, well, they went out from us, right? But they were not of us because they were not of us. Cheap grace can sometimes be very, very tricky, especially in your own heart about yourself. That's why we have to do church discipline. We do it hoping, giving a judgment of charity, hoping that you are a believer and you're just mired up in sin and that you're going to repent and come out of it. But if you don't, that just proves that we were right in treating you as an unbeliever when we have to finally go that far. Cindy. I was just thinking, I know this morning 
Yeah. Seems they were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that they and that's his point. Shocked. Yeah, any is, I mean, it, you know, like with the psalmist, we cry out, search me, try me, know me, right? Show me if there be any way, wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So that, that, right. The Spirit has to work that in our hearts, but we live in community, or we should. In America, we've got this dangerous, pull ourselves up by our bootstrap, rugged individualism where we don't depend on anybody. That's cool westerns. It's not Christianity. We're to do life in community simply for, not not the only reason, but one of the reasons God has us in community is so, you know, other people can show us where our blind spots are and hopefully do that in love, within, you know, in prayer and gentleness and grace. But listen, we need one another. You need your brothers and sisters to come and say, I love you. But I'm, I'm concerned about this. this. This doesn't look like Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not saved. We have to be born again. Right. But just it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. But enough of that might. Yes. If enough people are coming and saying, you don't really look like you're living like a Christian lives, you might want to say, well, you know, it's not me that's right and everybody else is wrong probably. Whenever somebody brings a plea to you like that or a critique of you like that, listen, I've said this to you all before, even if they do it the wrong way, just examine it because it might be true or there's probably some level of truth in it. Maybe not, but there's a process to work through. We just don't let the self-defense go up and stiff arm and just assume we're okay. I know and you know people that you can't confront with sin. They won't receive it. Spend much time in counseling, you'll see that, won't you? And it gets kind of sophisticated sometimes, the self-defense. But if God's begun the work, He will finish the work. Christ was telling the truth when He said He would lose nothing. None who have been justified will fall away. And at the same time, Paul would say to the Corinthians, what? Examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. And listen, I've told you all this before and I'll tell you again. That's why the book of 1 John was written. Not that you might cherry pick verses out of it, but go read the whole thing and pray and see the evidences of the work of the Spirit that are put forward there and ask yourself, are they there? And we may still have some of the tracks back there on 1 John if we don't. But R.C. R.C. Ryle. R.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle. That's close has a little track of, uh, to help you do that in the book of 1 John. And again, it's like I tell you, you not necessarily work for, look for perfection, but look for evidence of the presence of these graces and are you growing in them. Anything you want to say or add to that or is that sufficient? Yeah, and it's not the only one. But the, the, the context there is so clear that he's just finished talking about the importance of congregating in church versus trying to know the Lord and um, uh, there's another sermon there, uh, Enlightened, mm-hmm. uh, early church 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the immediate context and the larger context, working all the way out to the whole Bible. Um, Okay, here it is. I have a new Bible, and it's not the places are not on the same part of the page as the other Bible, and my my markings are not on them, so I had to search it down. Same book. Here's the here's Paul's concern in the book of Hebrews as Luke wrote it down. Okay, <laughs> I believe that's what it is. The Greek is Luke's, but we can talk about that later. Verse 12 of chapter 3. Take care, brothers or brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil. Watch this. An evil, a religious, but evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What leads you to fall away? An evil, unbelieving heart. That's Paul's concern. That's the writer, if you don't like that. That's the writer of Hebrews' concern is that his brethren might be converted, that they might know the Lord. And he's warning them of the dangers of an evil, unbelieving heart. One thing I'll bring us back to, and I'm thankful. Thank you, Sam, for bringing, that, bringing us to Hebrews. And since I didn't put it on your sheet, if you want to flip to chapter 7, verse 25. Why do we persevere? And I'll let you read the context, but in the context of Christ not dying, therefore holding His priesthood permanently. Verse 25 says this, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost or completely those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Precious, precious doctrine of Christ's intercession for us. What did he tell Peter? That he would return. Why? R.C. points this out. Because I have prayed for you. I haven't given up on you, Peter. In you is the work of grace. We have a high priest who continually lives to, and continually intercedes for us so he will save us to the uttermost or completely. He will see to it that he loses none but raises all of his sheep up on the last day. His sheep hear his voice and follow him because they love him. Because the gospel is true and they've mired up in His grace. Thoughts or comments?
If you can convince them they can lose their salvation, you can get them saved every Sunday. Right? Fill that aisle. Come to that altar that we don't have one. All right. Very good. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. You loved us first. And our love for you is feeble in return, but you're working in us to grow us in grace, to make us more and more like our Savior, to take us all the way home, to help us not trust in ourselves or anything we are or do, but in you and what you've done in our doing. Resting all of our hope fully in the grace to be brought to us in Christ Jesus. Help us to rest in your grace. And from that position, just have hearts full of love for you because of your mercy that go out and seek to grow in holiness out of love for you and gratitude to you. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the security that your sovereignty and these doctrines we call the doctrines of grace give us. They set our feet on the rock, which is Christ. They empower and enable us to both rest in you and live for you and encourage one another in you and be light and salt for you. Help us. To just grow every day we live on this planet by your grace and for your glory to grow ever deeper in our understanding of your word, our application of your word and truly and really and richly following you, Lord Jesus. We praise and honor and glorify you. We thank you. Words fail us to thank you for your mercy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.